Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we started a sermon series called God is Here. And we discovered last week that those three words can be life-changing words. Today, as we look a little bit deeper at those words again and at the text from 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll see that how we think of God makes a huge difference in what those words do in our lives. What we think when we hear the name God. That's how names work, isn't it? When you hear a name, it instantly brings a picture to your mind. You want to practice a little bit? Let me just throw out a couple names and you can just get your own mental picture. How about this one? Donald Trump. Perhaps the most polarizing person in America over the last few years, right? Several years and, and maybe completely different thoughts that everyone would have. But it certainly brings a picture to your mind, doesn't it? How about this one? Kim Kardashian. I don't know if everybody knows who that is, but I think most people do, right? Maybe it brings a picture to your mind when you hear that name. And at the risk of it being too soon, how about Aaron Rodgers? What are you thinking as you hear that name this morning, Right? Yeah, name brings pictures to mind, right? It's more than just a few letters strung together to spell out a word. It has a picture behind it. It's something that is not the same for every person. There's not an objective thought that's connected to each name. So what about the name God? What do you think of when you hear the name God? That's at the heart of what we're talking about today. How big is God? The thoughts that the sermon series is based on, as I mentioned last week, come from this book called Three Words That Will Change Your Life. Those three words are God is here. And one of the points that Pastor Mike Novotny, the author, makes is that when he thinks of God, he wants to think of God not with one capital letter, but with three capital letters. Not just capital G-O-D, but capital G, capital O, capital D. Because when we think of God as being big. That's when he makes a difference in our hearts and lives. That's when his name truly means something. So as we take a look at these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, let's ask that question this morning. How big is God to us? How big is God in my life? And the Apostle Paul helps us consider that question when he tells us, first of all, remember who God is. And then secondly, to remember what he does. I'd like to do something with you today as we walk through this text a couple of times. I've italicized words to highlight the answers to those two questions. So let's start with the first question, who God is, and take a look at what the Apostle Paul says. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Did you catch it? It was probably pretty easy with italicized print, right? The phrases that Paul stacks one on top of another to give us an appreciation for who God is. He is the creator who gives everything life. No one, nothing else can make that claim that they have brought everything into existence. Only God. He's the blessed and only ruler. 
So not only did God bring everything into being, but he's the one who calls all the shots. He's the one who gets to decide what happens when. He's the ruler of all things. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. We sometimes hear the word sovereign. That's what God is. His power is over all. There is nothing that can compare to him. As Paul continues to stack up these phrases, he says, who alone is immortal. Yes, God has no beginning and will have no end. He's always been. Nothing else can make that claim either. He lives in unapproachable light, majestic, holy. That's exactly why God can't be approached because he is holy and nothing else in all creation is. Think about Moses when he received the Ten Commandments or when he would visit with God. That unapproachable light that Moses would come back with a radiant face though God had hid his presence, right? No one can look at God and live. No one can see God face to face. His holiness is too great. As we get to the end of that list, do you realize how awesome the God that you and I worship is? I'm sure you do. But now ask yourself this question. How much do I let that make a difference in my life? Is it possible that though we know with our heads how great God is, in our hearts and in our lives, we sell God short? That we don't think as much of God as we should? That we worry and we fear and we have anxiety because God doesn't have as big a place in our life as we would like to have him have. If we zoom out a little bit and think about the context of these verses, it's kind of interesting. The Apostle Paul is talking to a pastor, a young pastor named Timothy, and he's encouraging him to avoid some of the traps that so many other Christians, so many other people fall into. Particularly the trap of discontent and the love of money. Yes, just a few verses before this is the most probably misquoted verse in the entire Bible. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I, I don't, I'm okay. I, I'm not really a lover of money. And maybe that's true. But don't we all have to admit that even if we aren't lovers of the things of this world, we're at the very least good friends? Like we find or try to find comfort and satisfaction in money, in possessions, in activities, and whatever that we can do and whatever we can do in this life that can bring us some sort of happiness. And yet we also realize that none of those things can work to fill the hole that is in our lives. It's not enough. None of those things are ever enough because it's only God that can fill that hole. Is it fair for me to say this? that the less we think of God, the more the fears and the worries and the troubles of this life will eat away at us, will cause us trouble, will leave us empty. And the opposite of that is true too, isn't it? The more we think of God, the bigger God is in our lives, the less those things matter to us, the less they have an impact on our lives. If you were here last week, one of the things we talked about were those three words, God is here, and I encouraged you to at least three times a day speak those words to yourself or remind yourself of those words, God is here. I'm not going to ask you if you did it. Maybe I'll just ask it this way. How did it go? How did it go? If you tried to do that, did it help? 
I know it did for me. I know it's one of those things that works because it's putting God in his proper place. It's recognizing him as being bigger than anything else in this life. There's no mistake that when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, that he taught the very first petition, the very first request that he had us make is simply this, hallowed be your name. I'm going to take you back to your catechism days. You remember learning what that meant to hallow God's name, to keep it holy, to revere it? The author of the book, Pastor Novotny, actually says it this way, what God wants is for us to pray this, God, let me think much of you today. Let me put you in your proper place because when you are elevated, when you are big in my life, then that only can serve to help, to bring blessings, the blessings that you want me and all people to have. When God is big in our lives, it's when we're remembering his blessings, when we're recalling his love, when we reflect on the power that he has. When we know who God is, then we put him in his proper place. Here's what's amazing. God didn't only stop with telling us who he is. He also acted. God did something to demonstrate how big he is in our lives. Let's walk through the text again. I highlighted a few different words to demonstrate. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. In a word, what God does, he saves. The Apostle Paul brings back a Good Friday memory, right? That was Good Friday morning that Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate on trial for his life and made the good confession. I know you've probably wondered, just as I have, what was going through Jesus' mind as he stood before Pilate? The travesty of justice, the injustice that was being visited on Jesus. How easy it would have been for him to simply walk away, to tell Pilate exactly what he wanted to hear and walk out the doors and be done. But Jesus made the good confession. He told Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. He subjected himself to a death sentence, a death sentence on a cross so that you and I can have life. That's what Jesus came to this earth to do. That's what God does. He saves. Jesus tore down the wall of sin that stood between us and God and opened heaven for his people. Jesus crushed our enemies, sin, death, Satan. They're defeated because Jesus rose from the dead. Do you see why it's so great to think of God in all capital letters, capital G, capital O, capital D? He's the God who sent his own son to take our place so that we can live with him forever. I apologize for the crude computer animation. This is an illustration from the book. And the point that the author is making is that our view of God is often a lot like that blue circle when God is really like the red circle. He makes this point. If you think about your average day, how much time in an average day do you spend thinking about God? Putting him in his proper place, thinking of how big he is. An hour? Less? More? 
The point is simply this, not, not to beat ourselves up about the fact that we haven't thought about God every second of every minute of every day, but the blessings that will come when we think of God more, when we think more of God, because God promises that when we see him as greater than anything in this world, greater than any trouble or trial that can come, he'll bring us the peace and joy that we need in this life. In the second commandment, Jesus, or God teaches us in that commandment that we should not misuse the name of the Lord our God. Again, if you go back to your catechism days, you maybe remember the explanation that Martin Luther gave to that commandment that we should not curse or swear or lie or deceive, right? And maybe those are the things that we think of when we think of misusing God's name. Is it possible that our biggest violation of the second commandment isn't so much that we misuse God's name, but that we've missed using or missed the use of God's name in its proper way. And we haven't called upon him in our troubles. We haven't prayed. We haven't pra praised him. We haven't given thanks. We haven't thought of as much of God as we could. It's amazing, isn't it? That God is bigger than we can even wrap our minds around. And then how about this? God knew. God knew exactly how little we would think of him and saved us still. God knew the struggles that we would have to put God in his proper place and was still willing to send his son to take our place. Jesus crushed sin. Like the walls of Jericho crumbled down, Jesus tore down the wall of sin that stood between us and God so that we are called God's own people and heirs of eternal life. If God loved us that much to send his son, then no other worry, no other care, no other problem of this world is too great for our God to overcome. Paul shares with Timothy and us one more thought. That same Jesus who came once to save us, he's coming back. He's coming back to take us to be with him forever in the perfect joy of heaven, a place that has a reservation with your name, in your name, a nameplate. It's kind of cool to think about, isn't it? That you have a place in heaven because of what Jesus has done. I thought about this past week uh, as I was communicating with our worship coordinator, Steve Peleshek, uh, as I asked him what name he wanted on the nameplate that we'll put outside of his office. Do you want Stephen or Steve? For the record, he said Steve. But he wrote me this little message back, which I thought was pretty cool. He said this, that's so awesome that I get my own nameplate. Nobody ever put a nameplate on my forklift at my last job. He's right, isn't he? It's kind of cool to think about that, that, that you belong, that Jesus says your place in heaven is secure, that something special is waiting for you because he was willing to give up his life. The Apostle Paul concludes in his words simply by saying this, to him be might and honor forever and ever. That's what thinking God, of God in big terms leads to, our praise and worship of him. The psalmist in Psalm 86 understood what it, mean, what it meant to, to put God in that position, that big position when he wrote these words, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, when we don't think much of God, let's remember who he is. Eternal, powerful, the creator, loving, forgiving. He is God, capital G, capital O, capital D. 
Number two, God has done marvelous things. Through Jesus, the wall of sin has been destroyed. What stood between us and God is gone. And God calls us his people, and he is our God. Finally, number three, when we praise God as God, he fills us with confidence and peace. Joy and contentment will flood our lives when God is in his proper place. I updated the little illustration, again, from the book. That's supposed to be a little air pump, right? So what we want to do is inflate God. We want him to be bigger in our lives, right? Who of us don't want that? Who of us don't want God to have a bigger presence in our life? So how do we do it? What does it take? Well, remember last week I told you that you could just say those words to you yourself several times a day, God is here. You don't have to stop. You can keep doing that next week and the week after too. But maybe try this for the next week as well. Carve out a little bit of time. A little bit of time to meditate, to truly think about God's place in your life. Maybe some quiet time in the morning or evening. Maybe you have a car ride in which you can think about it. Maybe it means sort of setting aside a device for a little while so you can just think about the majesty, the awesomeness, the love of God. Because here's what God promises. When we seek him first, when we put him first in our lives, when we think of him as as big as he truly is, then he brings blessings into our lives. Blessings to first know who he is, our savior from sin, and what he continues to do, lead us to our home with him in heaven. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.